Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Let's start on Samach Zayim Abbez, about eight lines from the bottom. Our Ukva have Our Ukva had a poor person in his neighborhood. And he would regularly send him 400 zoos. Every Erev Yom Kippur. Nice care package. One day, he sent it with his son. Also, Amalei, lo tzarech. The son came back and said, this fellow does not need it. Amar, my choses, what did you see? Malkvah wanted to know from his son, why do you think he doesn't need it? Hazoi, dekom, mezalfile, yayin yoshon. He said, you know what I saw? I saw that he's sprinkling to purify the, the air as a pleasant scent. Old aged wine, fancy stuff doesn't seem to be a very poor person if he can afford to use old wine to sprinkle in his home. Omar, so Marmukva responded, methodically high. I didn't realize that he is so in need of luxuries. Aifinu, and he doubled the amount that he normally sent. And sent it back to him. Rashi, he doubled it. Meaning he understood that this added expenditure that he needed to sprinkle fancy wine, old aged wine, was not because he was uh, deceiving people. He really was in hard times. But for him, this was a standard of living he was used to. And it would be hard for him not to have it. So Marukva sent him double to try and help him live at the standard he was accustomed to. When he was close to death, Marukva, Omar, Aisuli, Khujbanai, Tzdaka. He said, Bring me my receipts. What have I given for Tzdaka? Ashkach, the Havak Sivbe, he found that was written there in his ledgers. Shivas Alfe Dinre, Siyanki. 7,000 Siyanki Dinre, type of Dinarim. Rashi says, Shei Mokum, from this location. The Aruch says, Zayanki, which is a good coinage. 7,000, good type of coin. Omar, the Dai Kalili. This is, Rashi says, Seda Kala. A light accompaniment. That I have prepared for a long journey. I'm going for a long journey. He's going to die and he feels that the amount of sadok he gave is inadequate to help him this journey to Olam Emes. He then distributed 
half of his assets for tzedakah. The Gemara wants to know, how could he have done this? Rabbi Loi said that in Usha, they made a takana, one who's coming to spend money on mitzvot should not spend more than a fifth. 20%. How's he giving half of his money away? More answers. This is talking about from his life. The reason why he's restricted and cannot give more than a homesh, more than a fifth of his assets, is because we're concerned that he might lose his wealth. And that is a, a risk that the Chachamim are not willing to take. But over here, in this case, Marokva is on his deathbed over here. There's not a risk that he's going to need this money. So therefore, the Takana in Usha, restricting his ability to spend the money on mitzvos to a fifth, is not applicable. And he is entitled to give up to half. We find other places also where people spend more than a fifth. The time speaks about it in Abbas Chesed. Hillel spent half of his earnings to gain entry to the base medrash. That was his life. It was not Lashem Mitzvah Ba'alma. The Chavaz Chaim says that if somebody is exceptionally wealthy, in a manner that giving more than a homesh, more than a fifth, would not jeopardize his financial stability because he is so wealthy, then he's entitled to give up to half, like we see over here. It's not a universal rule. It's a concern. So either that's not a concern if he's about to die, or it's not a concern because he's so wealthy. He has enough assets that are not in jeopardy, even if he gives more than 20%, then he's entitled to give more. That's what the Rav Chaim says. Now, upon him, we don't find any other objection over here, even though we do find somebody's maver, nechasim, somebody gives over his assets away from his sons. It is, the sages are not pleased. But over here, up to half, if it's helping him for himself, so that, that is considered within the realm of judicious and not objectionable by the Chachamim. Rabbi Abu Havitzaye Zuzi Bisudre. Rabbi Abu would wrap up the uh, coinage in his handkerchief and cast it behind him. And place himself by the Aniyam, the poor people. And be on the lookout for people that were trying to deceive and take this money. So he's casting this money behind him, but he wants to make sure nobody who is not really poor, is coming to take it. Rashi explains, 
He turned his eyes behind him that he should see to make sure no Ramoim came, no tricksters came. Who would untie this bag of coins to present himself as though he was poor. And the poor people would come and open up these packages and take the money. Rabbi Hanino have Rabbi Hanino had a particular pauper. Who would regularly send him four hundred four zuz every air Shabbos, Friday afternoon. Or Friday. Yoma had one day he sent this care package in the hand of his wife. Asai, she came back and she said to her husband, you know, this guy doesn't need it. What did you see? Bechina wants to know why is she saying that this is not a poor person? She said, I heard that they were saying to him, in what fashion are you going to die? Rashi explained, how do you want to die? The mapos with various table coverings, shall fish down with white flax, or colored silks, very fancy tablecloths. Omar, he responded, This is in accordance with what Rabbi Lazar taught. Let us come and express our gratitude to those who are deceptive, presenting themselves fraudulently as poor. If not for them, we would be sitting every day. As the first states, Vikara. And he shall call the pauper against you to God, and it will be considered for you as a sin. The pauper says, God, I asked your people to help me, and he didn't, they didn't help. If it's true, so there's a liability there. But if the person can say, look, there are deceptive fraudulent people out there presenting themselves as poor. I didn't know if he was really poor. So he has a hisnatsalus, a defense. And to a degree, this is something that we are grateful for. So although there was a bit of deception over here, he was being swindled in a sense to give this tzedakah, this charity. But there is a silver lining that these Fraudulent collectors are a source of defense for those who don't give when perhaps really they should have. The Tony Rebichia Barav Midifti and Rebichia Barav from Difti taught, Rebishu ben Karcha Omer, Rebishu ben Karcha says, Anyone who turns its eye away to hide from giving tzedakah, it is as though he is engaged in idolatry. How do we know that? It's a very severe charge. 
so fundamental, the Adjus. Why should that be considered idolatrous? Well, first let's see the Pasuk. Siv Hacha. It's written over here concerning Tzedakah. Hishamelacha. Guard yourself. Hen Dava im Levavcha Vilya'a. Lest there be a matter in your heart that is lawless. Vigomer. And over there it's written concerning Mesis Medea, and men of lawlessness shall go out to convince people, let's go commit idolatry. This usage of lawlessness is equivalent. One who wants to avoid giving tzedakah and the one who wants to literally go and commit idolatry are described in the same term. Vili'ah. So I have a pasuk to support this idea. Though, what is the tzadashavash behen? What is the comparison? The yesod is that our Fidelity to Hashem Echad, recognizing that there is one God, one Creator, and the entire universe is dependent upon Him exclusively. There is no alternate source of power, no independent source of power. So if He commands us to give tzedakah, so it is incumbent upon us to do so. And an expression of our reliance on Him, Abitachon in Him, is that we fulfill that, we give the tzedakah that He commands us to do, recognition that everything is coming from Him. That's what He tells us to do with what He gives us. Of course, that's what we should do. In contrast, one who worships various independent powers, supposedly, that's what idolatry is, then from such a frame of mind the idea of giving tzedakah is actually philosophically the wrong direction it's a, it's a matter of worship of power and money to a certain sense is part of power it's a purchasing power so if somebody is reducing their power so that's a terrible thing to do if they're worshiping power which Idolaters are worshipping this power, that power, conflicting powers, whichever power they think is in ascendancy that they would like to align themselves with, giving away their money to support the downtrodden and the poor, that is going in the wrong direction. It's a, a terrible idea from a, an idolatrous perspective. They're trying to gain power, not to dissipate their power. So it's like about his arts. It's lawlessness to turn away, turn one's eye away from giving tzedakah, tantamount to committing idolatry. Tosos has a kasha. Why in this case is this fellow considered in this story? They were asking him, the supposed poor person, what type of tablecloth would you like to dine on? 
So this claim that he's not a pauper is not rejected. Why don't he just do the same thing in the, in the previous Misa? Why is Rabbi Hanino accepting this claim that he's not really poor? He's presenting himself as poor fraudulently, whereas Mar Okva said no. I'll double what he was given before. I see that he's on a standard of living that he needs this. Therefore, his the support that I'm going to give him is doubled. Why didn't he say the same thing? Why didn't Rabbi Hanina view it in the same way? It also says, Why didn't he do like from Rabbi In these manners of tablecloth, of fine white linen or colored silks, that is not something that is within the framework of pinok, of a pleasure that he has been accustomed to. Rather, certainly he was wealthy. And therefore, if he was wealthy, he shouldn't be taking sadaka. Still, there's a silver lining here, but he did not say that he is accustomed to this and it would be hard for him to dine on anything less Whereas to not have the ziluf of the yang yoshan, the sprinkling of this old wine, that could be something that would be a challenge for someone who's accustomed to having this sprinkled old aged wine to improve the, the air in his home. That is something that's considered pinot. Tonu Rabbon, the sage is taught. Namasamas Eno. If he presents himself as though his eye was blinded, if he presents himself as though his thigh was dysfunctional, so he's got a limp, or that his stomach is distended, some various illnesses, he will not leave this world until he actually suffers from some form of these ailments that he is falsely presenting himself as being afflicted with. When who accepts Tzedaka, charity money, and does not need it, in the end, he's not going to leave this world until he actually does need to come on to Tzedaka, similar to these other things. This act of fraudulence is going to come back to haunt him. Ram brings us Matnasaniyam, Perek Yud, Halacha Yudtes. Call me She'eno Tzarach Lito, anybody who doesn't need to take, Ram Enesa'am, and deceptively presents himself to the nation, Vinoto, and takes Tzedakah, 
He does not die from old age until he will need to come on to others for their charity. And he's included in the curse. A curse that is the man who trusts in man. And all who do need to take and cannot live without taking tzedakah, like one who is elderly or sick, or balyasurin, one who is racked with suffering, megizdaito, and disturbs himself, and pushes himself not to take when he really should be taking, he is guilty of bloodshed, and he is liable for his own life, because he should have taken tzedakah in that situation. And in his suffering, he only has sins and error. He is not meritorious. And all those who do need to take, but they hold themselves back by their time to try to make do with less. And live in a manner that is at a lower standard than what they would like, in order to avoid being a burden on the community. Such a person will not die from old age until they are able to sustain others from their own. And on such a person and those like him is the blessing stated Blessed is the man who trusts in God. So that's the Ramam here. It's a Chiddush that he adds on to what our Gemara said. The Gemara said that the one who deceptively presents himself as needy will ultimately, before he dies, actually be so. The Ramam, in the middle of that idea, embeds quite a blessing. You will not die from old age until he needs to come on to other people. So although he didn't need, and he took tzedakah anyway, he's ultimately going to need to take tzedakah. In the meantime, he's getting a blessing of old age. Just say, like the Gemara. Why does he say, Efshir, this bracha of zikna is like what Rabbi Lazar said, not that they have a right to deceive. It's a terrible thing, and they're going to suffer for that. But, this element that they create a protection for people who otherwise would be held liable for not giving tzedakah, that there are some rotten apples out there, so it protects the broader tzibur from the din of not giving to every tzarech. So perhaps in that tzchus, this nachzik tova, there's a, a maila that even though they're a mind, they'll be zochet harichos yomim. Absent.
continues the Gemara. The start of the Mishnah, in Peyapek Ches Mishnah Ches, Emechayven also Limkar as Beisov as Kleitash Misho, person who is needy, is not required to sell his home and his vessels that he uses. Rashi says, Lahashli Masayim Zuz, Kedeshe Lo Yito. A poor person, let's see, Rashi says, Emechayven also Limkar. The first part of the Mishnah is that somebody who has 200 Zuz in his assets is not permitted to take the gifts of Leket Shechan the gifts that accrue of Leket Shechan eligible for people who are poor to come and take from the various fields in the land of Israel, he is not able to take it if he has a net value of Matayim Zuz, or greater. And how do you calculate that? That is his assets that are free, so to speak. You do not require him to sell his, his home and his vessels that he uses to get to this figure. So even if he has a house and fancy vessels, those things don't need to be sold in order to evaluate if he has 200 zuz and is not able to collect these sadakas, or if, if he has more than that, and if he has more, he's not allowed. If he has less, he is allowed. It's his assets that are liquid assets above and beyond what he needs for his basic living needs. Below, is that really the case? If he's used to using gold vessels, he should use silver vessels. If he's used to using silver vessels, he should use copper vessels. It sounds like he should downgrade. It says this is not a challenge. This is talking about his bed and table. Ah, because this is talking about his cups and his serving bowls. What's the difference between the cups and serving utensils of the large bowls? De lo, that he is not required to downgrade. He says that they are hard for me, that they're considered. Uh, Mo'os is not comfortable using these type of wares. Why don't you say the same thing for his bed and table? Omar lo mekabil ilui. Omar rava berei de rabo v'machresha de kaspo. So chera, a better table also, he should be able to say that it's not fit to receive him, meaning it's not something he's comfortable with. So Rav Abre, the Rav says, something that is a, a tool, some type of comb or rake made out of silver. Megillion says, the base 
It's used as a tool in the bathhouse. It doesn't need to be made out of silver. It's just strictly a matter of showing one's wealth to do so. So something like that, he does need to sell in order to add up his liquid assets. Does it come to 200 zuz and he's not allowed to take the gifts of the harvest? Or does it not come up to 200 zuz and he's allowed to take? It has to be that the tools that he's using are tools that he could downgrade if if they are tools that he can downgrade without reducing his his uh, comfort then he's required to do so that's the first mahalach rava brei rabba rapapa malokasha rapapa says a different resolution kan kan it depends on when rashi explains before he comes to collection, that which it says in the Mishnah that he's not required to sell, at the beginning, when he's coming to take these gifts from the harvest, and he did not have liquid assets of 200 zos that are available beyond his basic necessities, and if he would sell the vessels that he uses, he would actually be able to amass 200 zuz. He is not required to do so. And that which is taught in the Mishnah that he is required. That's talking about after he's come to collection. Since he brought himself to the situation that he is collecting tzedakah money or grain from the harvest, now the courts will Make him pay back. He did have 200 zuz liquid beyond his basic necessities. And he took these gifts of the harvest. And it was known afterwards that he was actually wealthy. It became known. The court will come and collect from him to compensate the real poor people for that which he took. If he doesn't have, now, after he took it, the ability to pay back, now he's required to sell his fancy wares in order to pay for what he took unjustly, and he needs to buy in their stead more simple things. That's Rav Papa's resolution. See the Mishnah. A girl who is an orphan and is married off by her mother or brother or brothers. Rashi explains, We're talking about where she is interested in this shidduch. Certainly that's the only way it would happen anyway. The father has the ability but not the mother or brothers. But it's the Rabusa, it's telling you an extra Chiddush 
that even though she was interested in the Shidduch, she's not capable of Mechila as a Ketana. She cannot forgive that which is due to her because she's a minor. The Kosvullah Bemea, oh, the Hamishim Zos, and they wrote for her either a hundred or fifty Zos. Once she becomes of age, she's able to collect from them that which would be appropriate for her to be given. She says, a tenth of the assets of her father's estate. If an earlier sibling and a daughter was already married off, they should take from the estate to provide a dowry for the next daughter to get married off in a manner that is similar to what was provided for the first. Sometimes a person was poor, then became wealthy, or wealthy, then became poor. Therefore, don't just do copy-paste. Rather, evaluate what is in the estate currently and give her based on that. Let's see Rashi and Mishnah again. If the father in his lifetime married off one daughter, it should be given in consideration of what the father did, whether it's precisely a tenth or less or more. Let's see the Gemara. Omar Shmuel. Shmuel said, The Parnasa Shonen Ba'af. For Parnasa, you evaluate, look at the father. Rashi explains, Habasi Soma, an orphan girl. She's trying to get married. She's given a dowry based on the evaluation. Evaluation based on the assessment of her father. Is he generous? Is he stingy? The father's not here anymore. She's Yasoma. But the assessment is based on the court's understanding of the father's character. Meisve, with a kasha. Habonos, nizonos, mufarnosos, mirsevien. Girls are given sustenance as well as a dowry from their father's property in the estate. Keitzad, how does this play out? Ein omrim, we don't say, if her father was alive, kach ve kach such and such would he give to her. Rather, we look at the assets, the and give her based on the assets. My love, Parnasa Sabao. Are we not talking about Parnasa Sabao? Rashi says, Nedunya shall misuin, the dowry for the marriage. Ramnachman Baisak, lo. says, No, we're not talking about Parnasa Sabao. But Parnasa Sabao, we're talking about sustaining herself. Rashi explains, Nezonos, but Ode Achim. Her regular upkeep, what her maintenance needs are, not a dowry, but while she is still in the household with her brothers, with her siblings. Oh, Nizonis, and Mifanesas. Tony, why does the Mishnah say Nizonis and Mifanesas? 
my love, achas, achas, is not the implication that both her up maintenance upkeep as well as a sum given as a dowry is subject to this evaluation. Lo, both are discussing her own needs, not giving her a dowry. Lo kasha, and there's no difficulty. Ha, one is talking about food and drink. Ha, and the other is talking about what she needs for clothing and shelter. But it's all talking about her upkeep, not talking about a dowry. Rashi. Ha, b'achila there's an evaluation, appraisal of the assets of the estate. If the father was poor, she is given in accordance with what was taught, the apathy, earlier, if he is wealthy, so it should be given out in accordance with his wealth, his honor. Sometimes a person was poor and then became wealthy. Oh, or he was rich and became poor. Don't evaluate the father's character, generous or stingy, but rather look at the estate. Give her according to the estate. What does it mean, poor and rich, in this context? If you say it in a simple sense, poor in terms of his assets, and rich in a financial sense, that would seem to imply, because this is a matter of contention, that the Tanakama, the first opinion in the Mishnah, holds that even if he was rich and became poor, that you would still give based on what was given to the first daughter that the father married off in his lifetime. Give to the next daughter like the original one. But that can't be. Halesla, he doesn't have it. So clearly the Tanakama cannot say that from the estate the second daughter should receive like what was given to the first daughter who was married off in the father's lifetime if it means that he became poor. There's not, you don't just don't have, he doesn't have an estate to do that. Adalav, rather, is it not? Ani, Ani Bidas. We're talking about an evaluation of him. Anibidas, Rashi explains, His intention is not to give her the dowry of a rich person, rather the dowry of a poor person. And the same thing the other way. Bidas, if his intention was to give her the, the dowry of a rich person. And the Mishnah says, Evaluate the properties. Vinosalam give to her. Alma umdana. So you see that you do not go after the assessment. It's you the Shmo. And this is a question against Shmo. Shmo says, the Parnasa, beginning of Gemara, Shamin, the You evaluate based on the father. He holds like Rabbi Yehuda, that not, as was taught in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda Omer. If he married off the first daughter, the second daughter should be receiving similar to what was given to the first daughter, even though the second daughter is now an orphan, 
the name of Allah Rabbiuda, if Shmuel just means to say that he's paskining like Rabbiuda, let him say that. They paskin like Rabbiuda. Why does he say a Memra that is approximately the same thing? You evaluate based on the Father. If he would have said Allah is in accord with Rabbiuda, then we would have understood that what Shmuel meant to say is precisely like Rabbi Yehuda, only in a case where the father actually married off the first daughter, that he has actually revealed his intention. But if the father did not marry off the first daughter, then that would not be the case. Therefore, Shmuel comes to tell you, Shomim, you look at the father, meaning you don't actually have to have him have actually given a nadunya, a dowry, to the first daughter. Just an evaluation of what you would anticipate. He's explaining that he, he does pass like Rabbi Yudha, but he's explaining that what Rabbi Yudha is saying is not dependent on him actualizing a gift of a dowry. Doesn't matter whether the first daughter was married or not. It's in a matter of umdana of evaluating what the father's intentions are or were. Vahaydi diktoni hisia, that which the Mishnah does say, and he married her off. That is in order to teach you, to inform you the strength of the rabbana, how far the rabbana go. That even though he did marry off the first daughter, the Golidaita, and he has revealed his intentions to give whatever percentage of his assets, nonetheless, they argue, and they're on hold, you do not go with an evaluation of the father. You look at the assets, not the father, even when there is actual concrete evidence of what he did in the first case where he married off one daughter. Rava said to Rechista, it's said over in your name, the Allah is like Rabbi Yehuda. Amalei, hey Rava, it should be the will before God. That all such good things be said over in my name. Meaning, it's true. The Allah is like Rabbi Yehuda. And did Rava really say this? We have a Braisa. Rabbi Omer, a daughter who is being sustained by the brothers takes a tenth of the estate, the orphan girl. And Rava said, the halacha is like Rebbe. Look, Asha, this is not a contradiction. This is talking about where we were able to evaluate the father, and this is talking about where we're not able to evaluate the father. Rashi. That which Rabbi says, a fixed tenth of the estate. When we were not able to evaluate the father, he wasn't living among us. And we were not able to determine his intentions. Was he generous or was he stingy? This is most reasonable. The Amar there was actually a case where Rebbe ended up giving, distributing from the estate, one-twelfth of the estate for an orphan girl who was getting married. 
Kashinadali, this seems to be a stira to this last teaching, and he did one tenth. Elav, Shmamino rather derived, like we said, Ha Damidne, Ha Dumamidne, Shmamino. This case where he did one twelfth was when he was able to ascertain the will of the father. He knew the father was able to determine that was the appropriate amount from the estate. And if it could not be determined, then the boilerplate would be one tenth of the estate. Gufa. Omar Rebbe. Rebbe said, the daughter was being sustained by her brothers, meaning after they're orphaned, she takes a tenth of the assets of the estate for the dowry. They said to Rebbe, according to these words this that you have presented, a man who has ten daughters, and a son, comes out that the son inherits nothing. And even though he has ten daughters, they will each get 10% of the estate, and the son will get nothing. How could that be? The din Yerusha, which is Daraisa, the inheritance of the son, precedes the giving of a dowry to daughters. Amalahan responded to them, this is what I am saying. The first one takes a tenth of the assets when she gets married. The second daughter to get married takes a tenth of that which remains. And the third, likewise, takes a tenth of what remains. And they go back and divide equally. Each one and one. Dinafsha. Shakla. For herself takes. Rashi says, The sages enacted for them the dowry as a tenth of the estate. And the ones who get married off sooner get a tenth of what is there, and each one that comes first gets a tenth of a larger share of the estate. So why is there a reason to divide in equal tenths? This is what Rabbi was saying. If all ten of these daughters come to inherit, to take their dowry at once, then they will take this tenth of the assets all at once. Meaning, instead of the first one taking, if let's assume he left a hundred, so the first one would take ten, the second one would take 10% of what remains, which would be 9 out of 90, and so on. And each daughter would take a tenth of what remains. If they're all coming to get married at the same time, what they would do is take an equivalent amount of what one-tenth after one-tenth after one-tenth would come to. So for the 10 girls, it would come out to about just over 6.5 out of 100.
So that's that's what the the math comes out to. But the, in such a case, the sun still will have almost 35 out of 100, and the dinirusha would not be negated. This supports that which was taught by Rav Masna. Rav Masna, as Rav Masna said, if they come to get married, all at one time, they take one-tenth, one-tenth. Is that what I would have thought, that they only take one-tenth? That all ten come to marry at the same time? They have to sh- share among them only one-tenth. El notlos iser ke'echot. Rather, they take one-tenth at once. So it's the same amount for all of the ten, instead of it being a staggered amount with whoever comes first gets more. If they're all coming at the same time, you'll just take that full amount and divide it equally among the ten. It will be about six and a half. Tonor the sages taught, Habonos bain bagru achlo niso, whether they became adults before marriage, bain niso achlo bagru, whether they married before they became bogros, before the age of 12 and a half or older, ivdu mizanosein, they lose their sustenance, velo ivdu parnasosan, but they do not lose their dowry. Divrei Rebbe. These are the words of Rebbe. Rebbe Shimon Menelzer Omer, Af Ivdu Panasasam. Rebbe Shimon Menelzer says, no. They also lose their dowry. Ketzadin Osos. So what can they do to protect their dowry? Sochosanban. Literally, they hire for themselves husbands. Motzilahem Panasasam. And then they will be able to get their dowries. So, there's a a rush, according to Rishim and Lazar, these girls, before they become bogros, to get married in order to be able to get from the estate the dowry. Because once they become bogros, according to Rishim and Lazar, not only do they lose mizonos, being sustained from the estate, their upkeep, but also their dowry. Amr Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said, Amr li Huna, Rav Huna said to me, Hilcha the halacha is like Rebbe, who argues with Rabbi Shimon Menelazar. Eisve, Gemara Zakasha, Rava Lerb Nachman, Rava Lerb Nachman, Rava asked against Rav Nachman, Yisoma, Shisyasa Ima, Oachara, Ar Mishnah, an orphan girl who's been married off by her mother or brother, brothers, Midaida, and she's amenable to this arrangement. Vekasvullah b'meya o v'chamishim zuz, and they wrote out for her as a dowry a hundred or fifty zuz. Yecholali, she has the ability, once she becomes of age, to collect in court that which really would have been fit to give her based on the size of the estate. The reason is because she was a minor. But if she got married as an adult, She's already Bulgaris. Vitra. Then she has given up and forgiven the ability to collect more. So this Mishnah seems to be in, in line with Rabbi Shimon Menelazar, who says that she has to, that the girl needs to get married in order to retain rights 
to collect a dowry from the estate. So how is Rav Huna saying the halacha is like Rebbe? L'chera, the halacha is like Rebbe Shimon Alazar. Lo kasha. This is not a challenge. Ha demachai, ha demachai. This is being said when there was a macha, when she, this the girl was getting married, made a protest, and this is when she did not make a protest. Rashi, ha demachai, ha demachai, Rebbe, lo ibdu. That which Rebbe said, that she does not lose her rights to the dowry. V'am Ravuna lacha hilchasak kavase, and Ravuna supported that lacha is like Rebbe. V'shemichsa al moser iser nechsaat where she made a protest on the gap between what her mother or brothers presented to her as a dowry and what she should have received as a tenth of the estate that her father left over. And that which the Mishnah says, that the woman who's already of age has been has forgiven, Ability to collect more. That's talking about when there was no protest. Back in the Gemara. This resolution, differentiating between a macha or no macha, protest or no protest, that is reasonable, most likely. Dim Kane, if you don't make this differentiation, then you have an internal contra- contradiction between two teachings of Rebbe. The Tanya. We have another Braisa, Rebbe Omer, Rebbe said, A girl who is being sustained, her maintenance, from the brothers, She takes a tenth from the estate. If she is being sustained by the brothers, that is the case, she's getting her maintenance. But if she's not being sustained, then she does not get a tenth. Is it not that we should derive from this teaching, this b'risa, that Rebbe holds, that what does it depend on? Whether she made a macha, whether she protested or not. So derive from here. If she wants to get married while she is still receiving her maintenance from the brothers, the Haina Bikatnos, when she is either a minor or between 12 and 12 and a half. Omar le Ravina Rava. Ravina said to Rava, Omar Lon Rav Adabarava. Rav Adabarava said to us, Mishimcha in your name, Bagra Enat Shechalimchos. If she already became past the Yemen Nairus, she's already 12 and a half or older, she does not need to make a protest. Nisis. If she got married, she does not need to make a protest. But if she did both, she's already post the age of 12 and a half, and she got married, then she needs to make a complaint if the amount that was given for the dowry is less than a tenth of the estate. Did Rava really say this? And did not Rava ask to Rav Nachman, Yisoma, an orphan, Vishani Le, and he responded to him, Ha Dimachi, Ha Dilomachi. It depends on whether there was a Macha or not a Macha. 
Lo kasha. That's not a challenge. Ha de ka mitzano minayo. Ha de lo ka mitzano minayo. It depends on the context whether mocha is necessary or not. If the girl is receiving upkeep, she's being maintained by the brothers, so she does not need to make an official protest that she feels her dowry is inadequate, that she was given less than a tenth of the estate, because she is being taken care of. But if she is not receiving upkeep from the brothers, so then she needs to levy this complaint, make a protest, in order to not be construed as relinquishing that right. Then there's no need for her to make a macha, to make a protest if she is receiving sustenance from the brothers. Even if she doesn't make a protest, she does not lose her claim to a tenth of the assets of the estate. And he responded to him, that that which was taught, if she's an adult, Vitra, she has forgone, given up her rights to a greater share of the estate. That's when she did not make a protest. Alma, she got married when she was in the half year between 12 and 12 and a half and did not make a protest. Even though she's not yet fully an adult. Vitra, she's given up her right to claim more. And you said that if she got married, she doesn't need to make a protest even if she's a Naira. That which was said by Rava, that once she got married in the time frame of Nairus, she does not need to make a Macha, does not need to make a protest. That's talking about when she is on the family payroll, so to speak. She is getting supported by the brothers. Since they are taking care of her and giving her her maintenance and upkeep, so she did not feel a need to levy this complaint, and she that's why she was silent. And she is not actually forgiven her ability, her rights, to collect more from the estate. And that which it was taught, that once she's a full-fledged adult, after 12 and a half, then she's considered to have given up her claims to more from the estate. That's talking about a case where she did not have continued upkeep from her brothers.